Well, I'd like to open this morning with a question. Have you ever been so focused on something that you actually shut everything else out? As if nothing else existed but you and that thing, whatever it is you were thinking about or contemplating or reading or studying or what on. In my early 20s, I was actually diagnosed with ADD. So that's almost impossible for me to do. I am constantly distracted. However, there have been times, a few times in my life where I almost woke up realizing that I'd been so focused on something that it was as if nothing else existed. I will share with you one of those times. A couple years ago, when I was in the middle of my MDiv studies, I was engrossed in the Greek language, which I enjoy very, very much. But I remember a particular day, I was all in. I was sitting at my desk, and I had my workbook, and I had my translation work, and I was just all Greek. Nothing else existed but Greek, but New Testament Greek for me in that moment. Pastor Tony comes walking in, and I'm not exactly sure what happened. <laughs> I think he said my name and asked me a question. But it was as if I had to come up from the depths of the ocean to even register that he was in the room. And I'm not even sure how much time elapsed. I think I was just staring at him until he finally said, are you okay? <laughs> and, I, and then I, at, least, at some point I was able to, to process what was going on. That's a rarity for me. Maybe it's not for you, maybe it is. But in that moment, my mind was set on Greek. This morning's scripture is an explanation of setting our minds on things above. Our passage deals with setting our minds on things above. We're going to be in Colossians 3, 12 through 17, where Paul tells us to put on righteousness. But the context of our passage actually begins in Colossians 3, 1 and 2. I actually want to read for you verse 2. It's on the screen for us. It says this. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Set your minds on things above. What does that look like? There's one Greek word for set your minds. It's the word phroneo, and it means to give careful attention or consideration it also has the connotation of having a specific attitude based on careful thought. It's the idea that I have given this thing so much thought that I now think this way. It's I have thought this way and therefore I behave this way. So how am I supposed to behave if I'm setting my mind on things above? And that brings us to our Scripture this morning, so if you will follow along as I read verses 12 through 17. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. 
and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, before I go any further, I want to remind you of the context of the passage and the history of the passage. If you were here a few weeks back, you'll remember that I preached through Colossians 1, 15 through 20, and I told you that similar to the church in Rome, which our senior pastor is going through right now, Paul did not start this church at Colossae. He wasn't there to actually lay the foundation of the church and to, to establish elders and to establish the deacons and to get that started. He wasn't there for that. What we believe happened is that a man named Epaphras, who's mentioned in Colossians 1.7, came to Ephesus where Paul was at the time and got saved. And he then brought that message back to his city, Colossae, and started the church at Colossians or the Colossae. At some point after that, a hearsay entered the church. Not exactly sure how it got there. We're not entirely sure what it is, but based upon what we do know, we believe it was some form of Gnosticism. And Gnostic, the Gnostics believed that you had to follow a rigorous legalistic ritual in order to attain a special knowledge of God. Some of them even went as far as to self-beat in order to get rid of sin, in order to attain some sort of special knowledge of God. Well, it's believed that when Paul was imprisoned in Rome, Epaphras came back, came to him there with this struggle, with this hearsay, and needed the information to help refute it, and Paul, in response, wrote the book of Colossians. So Epaphras came to Paul, and he wrote it out, and in chapters 1 and 2, what Paul lays out for us, to give you some context of the book, is how silly and futile this legalistic, ritual, ritualistic process was. There's no way that me and my own sense of, of legalism can attain anything from God. And Paul not only pointed that out in Colossians 1 and 2, but he also points out that, hey, all of your work will fail to fight sin. And those were the concepts that Paul was presenting in Colossians 1 and 2. In fact, you can read this on the screen. Colossians 2.23 reads, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting, promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What you're doing, the processes that you're following, the dietary laws that you're following, the ways you are beating yourself is not does not have any power to stop sin in your life. None. So we get to chapter three. And Paul switches from unpacking how silly the Gnostic way of thinking is and tells us what we should be focusing on. He says, set your minds on things above where Christ is. Why would he say that? Why would he say where Christ is? Because it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. It's not about this legalistic, ritualistic practice. It's all about Christ. It's not about my dietary laws. It's all about Christ. My spiritual growth is not based on how much I know, but on who I know. 
My faith is not based on how I perform. It's based on the one who's already performed on my behalf. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about a set of religious performance. So set your minds, phroneo, on things above. To say it another way, think heavenly thoughts. So this morning, I want to share with you six ways. I got six points, which is the most I've ever had. Six ways that we set our minds on things above from Colossians 3, 12 through 17. So if you'll read verse 12 with me again. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So your first point this morning is this. How do I set my mind on things above? Develop godly character. Develop godly character. Now verse 12 comes off the heels of verses 5 through 11 where Paul opens and calls us to set our minds on Christ and then he actually shows us how not to do that. Verses 5 through 11 is all an explanation of how we are not to live. And Paul often did that in his writing. He often would say, do this and then show us how not to do it and then show us how to do it. In fact, he did that in, the, uh, in Galatians 5 where we have the very famous fruit of the Spirit. We've all read and heard and even memorized the fruit of the Spirit. But did you know that the verses right before the fruit of the Spirit are the works of the flesh? I'm just going to read this for you. This is Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ugh. I didn't memorize that in a while, But he lays out, this is how not to behave. This is what not to do. Don't be this way. And instead, do this. And that's exactly what Paul does when we come to Colossians 3. Verses 5 through 11 says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death what is earthly in you. Don't be like that. He says it strong. Put it to death. The flesh that is in you, put it to death. That's necrao which means cease completely. Stop it. Just like Bob Newhart. When the lady comes to him with a psychological problem, all he can say is, stop it. Now, I like to think that Paul's a little more compassionate than Bob Newhart, but the same idea. Put it to death, the sins, the old self, the body of flesh. Take it off like an old moldy coat. Stop that behavior. And let's develop godly character. So we put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. You, God's chosen one, holy and beloved, identified as a child of God, you put on compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts. This is love characterized by mercy. It's this display of concern for another's misfortune a display of concern for another's misfortune. It's to have pity on. Now, I don't know about you, but I get so wrapped up in me. I get so wrapped up in my world. I get so wrapped up in what I'm doing that I often forget to be concerned about another person's misfortune. I mean, 
wrapped up in family, wrapped up in ministry, right now wrapped up in looking for a house. And those things aren't bad. But in my mind, I get so wrapped up in them, I forget to think about someone else. When was the last time you actually went to somebody and you said, how you doing? Really? How you doing? Let me give you some time to listen, to pray. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. You know, we often think about kindness as, as the person who, you know, smiles at us in the checkout lane or that we work next to or that's in our neighborhood. And they say hi, and they're always smiling. There's a sense of kindness there, sure. But a kindness actually goes deeper than that. It's the quality of being helpful or beneficial. The quality of being helpful or beneficial. Helping each other. I had a couple of guys one time. I ran out of gas right in front of the gas station of all places. And they jumped out and pushed my car up to the, to the gas tank. Kindness. Many of you are kind. And I've been on the receiving end of that. Thank you. Let's continue to be kind towards one another. Humility. Undoubtedly, unarguably, the ultimate expression of humility is Christ Jesus himself, who, being our Lord, took on human form, went to the cross on our behalf, died a horrific death because he put us above him. And he put service to the Father above him. Of this word, John MacArthur writes this. This is the perfect antidote to the self-love that poisons human relationships. Anyone struggle with self-love? The antidote to that is to put on humility. Meekness. We get to meekness. This is one of my favorites. Meekness, by the way, is not weakness. Meek and weak are not the same thing. Meek is the quality of not being overly impressed by, one, by a sense of one's self-importance. I'm going to read that again. Meekness is the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. It's power under control, someone once said. Power under control. I once heard a pastor give a perfect illustration of meekness, and this is what he said. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Who am I talking about? Superman. I'm talking about Superman, who disguised as Clark Kent. Clark Kent is literally power under control. He is literally not overly impressed by a sense of his own importance. Clark Kent is a great example of meekness. He doesn't go around saying, don't you know who I am? In fact, he goes kind of bumbling, stumbling around. Clark Kent is a great picture of, me of meekness because it's so tempting to think, I am so needed. And I am so important. Maybe we don't even think those exact words, but it's so tempting to act that way. I mean, what would this church do without me? Don't they know my role here and how important it is? Don't they know who I am? 
pride. Not meekness. Meekness is under control and recognizing. Yes, God may be using me. But I am not all that in a box of Wheaties. Don't be impressed with your own self-importance. Practice meekness. Lastly, patience. Patience is the ability to bear up under provocation. It's keeping your cool when your boss is yelling at you. It's speaking calmly when your three-year-old beams you in the face with a hot wheel. Never happened. It's not lashing back to a fellow brother or sister who maligns you on social media. Patience is an essential part of godly character. It is hard, and it takes a truckload of prayer. If you and I are going to succeed at setting our minds on things above, we must develop godly character. Your second point is this. To set your mind on things above, build strong relationships. Build strong relationships. Verse 13. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Patience is hard. But if patience is hard, then this, I would say, is impossible. I mean, it really is. It's impossible for us to live well with each other. As I was thinking about this, there came a point that I thought I could really preach the entire sermon on verses 13 and 14. Because this is the second half of the greatest commandments. Love God, love others. That's what's important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Build strong relationships. I'm going to read some verses to you. They're going to be on screen. John 13, 35. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 1, 11, 1 John 1, 11, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 1 John three eighteen. Little children, let us not love in word or talk but in deed and in truth. Ephesians 4, 2, and 3. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Build strong relationships. Take a second, just look around. These people should be your closest friends. They really should. They should be the ones that you help in need. They should be the ones that you receive help from. They should be the ones whom you confess sin to. They should be the ones whom you would go to the ends of hell and back to keep them from sinning. But you might say, Pastor Ryan, I don't like people. Confession, sometimes I don't either. Loving people is hard, you might say. Building strong relationships is difficult. And you might even go on to say, and I've been hurt time and time again 
by the church. And to that I would say, I'm sorry. I've been hurt too. And I've done my fair share of hurting. But we can't ignore this. It's the second half of the greatest commandment and we have to follow it to set our minds on things above. And never forget that when you were completely and totally unlovable, Christ died for you. Build strong relationships. How do I do that? The verse actually tells us, bear with one another and forgive each other. What does it mean to bear? It means to tolerate. It means to, to bear with, to put up with. Many of you know that uh, we've just recently moved out of our house. And for the last several weeks, I'd been moving boxes slowly and slowly from the house to the storage unit. But last Saturday, I had several of you young strapping men come out and help me move the heavy things. Thank you very much for that. And among them, by the way, I have permission to share this. Among them were the McKenzie brothers, which sounds like it should be a musical group. <laughs> the McKenzie brothers. They came and they were doing great. They were helping out. But you know, being siblings, as brothers, sisters will do, they were dishing it back and forth. They were arguing and slamming each other. It was fun <laughs> for me. But you know, at the end of the day, nothing shakes their relationship. At the end of the day, they're brothers through and through. At the end of the day, there's love, there's acceptance there is a sense of bearing with one another. And the truth is, you may not like so-and-so. You may not even like so-and-so in this room. But you are called to bear with them. You are called to put away your differences. You are called to love them. I'm not saying that we have to be best friends with every single person in this room. I get that that's not even possible. But we bear with each other we love each other. And secondly here, we forgive each other. We forgive each other. Being sinful people, there's a lot of wrong that happens every single day, even between believers. We need to have a practice of forgiving. What does that mean sometimes? Sometimes it means we go to a person and we explain the offense and we gain forgiveness and all is well. And that's hard. But sometimes that's what it means. Other times, it means quietly forgiving a person in your heart and just letting it go. When do I do which? Well, I'll let the Spirit lead on that. Let the Spirit lead on that. But I would also say this. If you can let it go, let it go. If you can't let it go, go to that person, explain the offense, and get right together and right before God. Forgiveness. Do you even know what forgiveness is? It's pardoning a wrong. It's not putting on a face and says, for sure I forgive you, but that's not forgiveness. It's canceling a debt. It's choosing to release someone from the hurt and bitterness that they caused you. And you've got to get there. The verse even says, you must forgive. 
You must for you've got to get there and that's hard and if you can't get there you need to pray that through and if you still can't get there you need to take that to someone that you love who you can say I need prayer on this because you've got to get there we are commanded to be there and if you have hope of setting your mind on things above we've got to build strong relationships and to do that we have to forgive Verse 14, and above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love. One pastor defined it this way, you before me. You before me. Because if I'm thinking you before me, then what I'm doing is binding everything together in perfect harmony. And if everyone in the room is thinking you before me, well, it's really hard to be at strife with each other. You before me, that should be our thoughts every time we get up, every time we walk into a room, every time we get in a car, every time we greet our family, every time we come to church, we should be thinking you before me, binding everything together in perfect harmony. So build strong relationships. Thirdly, how do I set my mind on things above? I rest in Christ's peace. I rest in Christ's peace. Verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. That word for rule is brabuo, and it means to be in control of someone's activity by making a decision. It's a little confusing. Let me read that again. To be in control of someone's activity by making a decision. It's the word for rule. So what we're doing is we're letting Christ be in control. Christ making the decision for peace. Why is it put that way? Because peace is not something that we can strive for. The verse says, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, not strive to gain the peace of Christ. Let the peace of Christ be hands off on the peace of Christ. What even is the peace of Christ? Well, there's kind of a dual meaning here. In one instance, the peace of Christ is our relationship with God. It's that sense that all is right between me and God. It's not an issue of salvation. That's one time done for all. I accept Christ as my Savior. That never changes. But the peace of Christ, the sense that everything is right between me and God, can come and go if we step out of the will of God. The Greek word for peace is arene, and it's related to the Hebrew word shalom, and it just means that, peace and harmony. When I'm within the will of God, there's peace. Warren Wearsby writes this, the peace of God is the umpire in our believing hearts and our churches. When we obey the will of God, we have his peace within, but when we step out of his will, even unintentionally, we lose his peace. Again, peace is not something we strive for. Peace is not an end game that we're reaching for. It's doing the will of God. It's doing what is right. You do right and peace will follow. I said there's two sides to this. The other side is peace with each other. Peace with God and peace with each other. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called, and be thankful. This comes out of just what I was speaking about, about building strong relationships. When I have peace with God by doing what is right, I also have peace with you. When I'm seeking to forgive you and to bear with you as God wants me to do, then I have peace with you. F.F. Bruce writes this, But here the common life of fellow members of the body of Christ is in view. When differences threaten to spring up among them, the peace of Christ must be accepted as arbitrator. If the members are subject to Christ, the peace which he imparts must regulate their relations with one another. It was not to strife but to peace that God called them in the unity of the body of Christ. God has called us to peace. We let Christ Christ's peace rule our hearts by doing what is right by God and by each other. God wants you to be at peace. Are you at peace? If not, why not? Are you holding on to some sin that is eating away at that peace that God wants you to have? Are you refusing to be reconciled to a brother or sister? Again, eating away at the peace that God's want you to have. Are you ignoring the work that God is doing in your soul? You can't have peace and have those things at the same time. Living without peace is like being in a room with someone you owe money. It's just awkward. But it's worse than that because there's no reason to not have the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. There's no reason not to have that. God wants you to experience it. God wants you to rest in it. Life is so much brighter despite our circumstances when we have peace with God and with each other. So let Christ's peace rule in your hearts. Teaching and admonishing Sorry, I jumped ahead. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell on you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Switching gears here, the word for dwell has the idea of make your home. God's word needs to be at home in you. So here's your point. How's God's word. I'm using the word house as a verb here. House God's word. House it. Let it make its abode in you. Don't just let God's word crash at your place sometimes. God's word should never be an overnight guest. It needs to be a permanent member of the family. Your heart and your mind need to be roof and walls to the word of God and let it stay with you richly. That's abundantly. That's in excess. Let God's word dwell in you. How's God's word? Many of you know that Heather and I have adopted four amazing children and we took them in knowing it was a permanent thing. We took them in to provide them a family, to provide them love, to provide them a home, to provide them food. We took them in knowing it was permanent, and that's exactly the way we should take in God's word. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. God's word should never be a pocket dictionary. Switching metaphors on you for a second. God's word should never be a pocket dictionary, not something that we just simply reach for when we need it. Do you know what I'm saying? Follow me on this, okay? Many of us, myself included, we're guilty of using the word of God as a pocket dictionary. 
Let me give you an example. So you're, you're going about your day and maybe you bump into somebody and you have a conversation with them or something's going on and, and, and oh, what's that verse? That verse, hang on, hang on, it's coming to me and maybe I don't even remember there it is, but the Bible says that somewhere. Or maybe you're really good at, hey, you know what Ephesians 4, 3 says this. Psalm 91 says this. But we're using it as a pocket dictionary. Now, don't mistake me. Don't stop sharing Bible verses. Please do that. That's a good thing to do. But that is not the full extent of God's word. That's not letting the word of God dwell in you, reach, in you richly. That's reaching for it at a moment that you need it. What we need is to let the word of God saturate our minds like a good marinade. We spend time letting our minds soak in God's word. How do I set my mind on things above? I bring the word of God to live at home by saturating my mind with its precious truths. How's God's word? Okay, so how do I do this? Well, many of you I know from talking to you in our relationship, I know you already have a daily time in God's word. Keep it up. Don't stop doing that. But I would warn you, and I accept this warning on myself, to be careful not to let it become merely a scheduled event. Had my time in the Word, got my checkbox, I'm done. Be careful not to do that. It's not a task that's to be completed. It's the Word that is supposed to change me from the inside out. So I have my time in God's Word. How do I let it marinate in my mind? How do I house it? I would encourage you, as you're having your time in God's Word, if something sticks out to you, a verse or a truth or a promise or something, chew on that the rest of the day. Chew on that the rest of the day. Maybe you write it down. Maybe you have a good memory, unlike me, and you can just carry it with you. Chew on that the rest of the day. That is a great way to help God's word stick in your mind, especially in our world today that is busy, busy, busy. So some of you have that daily time. Others of you, you struggle to have that daily time. You struggle to have that daily time because you struggle to breathe. Because life is crazy, and from the moment you wake up, you are moving, 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 moving. And you might be thinking to yourself, I have trouble sitting down and reading God's word. How am I supposed to house it? How am I supposed to marinate in it? How am I supposed to let it dwell in me richly? Well, first of all, my heart goes out to you in that. And I don't want to make any pretense that this is easy. It's not. But I would encourage you somehow, some way, find a way to get God's word in your life. Audio Bibles, you can go online and just listen to them or have them playing in the background. Solid biblical music, let it play and sing to you and have that running around in your home or your car or your work or wherever. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. Put up sticky notes with favorite verses that you see everywhere you go. People are always looking for new ways to decorate. Decorate with sticky notes. It'd be awesome. Or just put them in strategic places. But be creative. If you're one of those that struggle to have that personal time in God's word, then be creative. Find a way to get it in there because we have to let God's word dwell in us richly. Why do we have to have the word of God dwell in us richly? Well, of course, to change us from the inside out. But also, notice the latter half of verse 16. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. I can't do that if my mind's not in God's word. I don't have wisdom, but God's word does. One of the reasons that we spend time in God's word is to be able to use it with each other. 
And you can use God's word in your daily speech with one another if your mind is saturated in the words of God. One of the things that our small group does, from time to time we, we text scripture to each other. And I know many of the other small groups do that and that's awesome, that's encouraging. And it's a reminder to let God's word dwell in us. And if you don't have that in your life, find someone who's willing to do that with you. Text them a scripture tomorrow morning and if they think that's weird, that's okay. Just keep doing it till they do it back. Someone comes, and you, comes to you in need of advice, instead of giving them our opinion, what does God's word say? I don't want to hurt your feelings. But opinions are a dime a dozen. There is something to be said with someone who has experience. I'm not negating that, absolutely. But you know what I've learned in my short life that when I've gained any amount of experience, any amount of wisdom, it coincides with what the Bible already says. If I go out and I rake up a bunch of debt and then I later realize that wasn't wise, did you know the Bible could have told me that? So yes, there's something to be said by, of experience, but more times than not, it already coincides with the word of God. A brother or sister comes to you in need, put your arm around their shoulder, Encourage them by the precious words from our Lord and Savior. How's God's word? Okay, look at the rest of verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and then singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Here's your fifth point. Sing like a fool. Sing like a fool. And I'm serious about this. I don't mean, you know, running around screaming nonsense lyrics at the top of your lungs like Don Knotts. It's probably the wrong illustration, but that's the name that I thought of. I mean, let the world think you're a fool. Let the world think you're a fool because there's a song in your heart, and if you're slightly more daring, Praise on your lips to your Savior. Sing like a fool. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I was delighted to learn this week that, that there's diversity in what Paul is saying here. There's diversity in the music. It's not that just one word means all singing, but specific kinds of songs. Psalms is most likely the psalms that we have from the Old Testament that are put to music. And it almost breaks my heart that we don't have that music because they didn't write music down back then the way we write it down today, but that's okay. God knows what the tunes were like. So he talks about singing the Psalms right out of the Bible. He also talks about singing hymns. Now remember, this was 2,000 years ago, not 200 years ago. The hymns that he's talking about are actually, probably, most likely, contemporary songs written by believers in the day, like our praise songs, the songs we sing here at church. It encourages me that I have Christian brothers and sisters from millennia ago who were writing music to the Lord. That's awesome. What a heritage we have. And then sing spiritual songs, probably a reference to singing expressions of biblical truth or perhaps even testimonials. Could you imagine hearing a testimony from somebody in the church of Colossae in song? That'd be amazing. But 
Paul tells us here, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Regardless, Paul tells us to sing, and he's to sing with variety. Sing like a fool. It's okay if the world thinks you're weird. That means you're doing something right. My wife will tell you, I sing all the time. If I'm washing dishes, I'm singing. If I'm driving, most likely, I'm singing. If I'm standing in line at Aldi, I'm singing under my breath. (laughs) I won't belt it out like I do here when I lead worship, but I am singing almost constantly. One, because I love to, and two, because singing enriches my soul, gives me praise to the Lord, and a way for me to express my love to him. And I know that many of you are way too self-conscious for that. I, I know that, and that's okay. Let me encourage you to let the song fill your heart. Let me encourage you, find a song every day that you can just let marinate in your heart and your mind. That's a good way, by the way, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you don't like singing out loud, that's okay, but I would encourage you, get, so, get those lyrics in your mind, going them over and over. What a great way to express our praise to the Lord. What a great way to set our minds on things above. So if you don't sing until Sunday morning, that's okay. Come Sunday morning and sing your heart out. We don't care if you're on key or not. Just sing. And I know that music and worship in church can be a controversial issue and we all come from different backgrounds and we all have many different comfort levels and I get that. But I do want to encourage you when you're here on Sunday morning, sing to the Lord. Sing his praise. I don't care if your arms up high, eyes closed, swaying, clapping, or if you're standing stock still as long as your heart is worshiping Jesus Christ. Sing like a fool. Verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here it is. Finally, be a God pleaser. Be a God pleaser. The great theologian Bob Hartman from the band Petra said it or sang it this way. Some make the sacrifice, but never let it show. Some make a point to letting everybody know. Some will live their lives as unto men, and they have their reward. I just want to do everything I do with my heart unto the Lord. Don't want to be a man pleaser. I want to be a God pleaser. I just want to have the wisdom to discern the two apart. Don't want to be a man pleaser. I want to be a God pleaser. I just want to do the things that please the Father's heart. That is so good. Go 80s rock and roll. (laughs) Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Be motivated to please God. Be motivated inside to please God. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That phrase, the name of the Lord Jesus, Douglas Moo, who's a New Testament commentator, he writes this. The phrase, in the name of the Lord, takes on a variety of nuances, but often the focus is on the nature or character of the Lord. To do all things in the name of the Lord, then, 
does not simply mean to utter Jesus' name, but to act always in concert with the nature and character of our Lord. So you, you are the Lord's. So act in the name of the Lord. Be in concert with the nature and character of the Lord. Be motivated by your identity, Christian. Do you call yourself Christ-like and yet are motivated by self-like? And this is hard, I know, because you're always having to check your motives, check your motives, check your motives, and I get that. Selfishness, self-gratification, self-glorification are so sneaky, and they come up inside of us, and they enter into our motives, and we are not even aware of it sometimes. And I'm, I'm ashamed to admit that I find myself praying, singing, talking about God even, and yet my motives are all, look at me. It's a struggle for every single one of us. How do I overcome this drive to be all about myself? You set your mind on things above. You do that by developing godly character, building strong relationships, resting in Christ's peace, housing God's word, singing like a fool and being a God-pleaser. Set your mind on things above. I want to close with a quote by C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. It's a little lengthy, so bear with me. But again, as Petra, it's so good. C.S. Lewis writes, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Neither.